I want you to think back over all the Christmases that you've had and all the gifts you've given and received. I want you to think about times when you've received an unexpected gift. You know, you, you asked for certain gifts, you knew certain gifts were coming, but then there was this unexpected gift or gifts that you received, and we've all had that happen. We all know what unexpected gifts are and what they're like and how it feels when we get them, whether that's good or bad. We know about that, so think about that. Just think about a time when you've gotten an unexpected gift that uh, just totally came out of nowhere and you didn't expect it to come. One time, a wife woke up one morning close to Christmas and said to her husband, Honey, I just had a dream, a dream that you bought me a new gold necklace. What do you think it means? I don't know, but Christmas Day is coming soon, he replied. A couple days later, she again woke up after having a dream, and this time she said, I dreamed you gave me a pearl necklace. What do you think that means? I don't know, but Christmas Day is coming. Maybe you'll find out then. Wink, wink. Christmas Eve morning, she again woke up telling him about her dream. This time, I dreamed that you bought me a diamond necklace. What do you think it means? Honey, be patient. You'll know tomorrow morning, he said. Early the next morning, the husband came in and woke his wife up by giving her a small package. And immediately awake and excited, she opened it to find a book with the title, The Meaning of Dreams. I'm guessing it was not a good day in that household. Unlike that unexpected gift, sometimes unexpected gifts are great. They, they make the whole day. They are sometimes the best gift possible, right? We've had that experience. The gift that you didn't know was there and, and the person that's giving the gift pulls it out from behind the couch or out from another secret hiding place, out from a cabinet or something, and you had no idea and it just blows you away. We've had that happen, right? We know that sometimes the best gifts are the unexpected ones. And what Christmas is all about, what it shows and shouts to all of us, is that many times God's best gifts come to us in unexpected ways. Many, many times God's best gifts come to us in unexpected ways. And that's certainly what Christmas is all about and what Christmas shows us. And that's something that we need to remember and, and embrace and go forward with. And that's really the whole point of this series. The whole focus of this month is going to be on the unexpected that surrounds Christmas. And there's a lot of unexpected. In 1995, there was a very famous song that came out by an artist, Joan Osborne. And the title of this song was, What If God Was One of Us? And in the midst of the catchy, really well-done, musically speaking, song, it was asking a question that a lot of people over the centuries have asked and have pondered. Unfortunately, not unexpectedly, she asked it, framed it in a pretty blasphemous way, and it was full of a lot of blasphemous 
connotations. But the chorus of this song was, what if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. And she went on with those questions and what would that mean if God was one of us? What would that change? What would that do to our lives? What difference would that make if God was one of us? And, of course, she was trying to get across the point that that never happened and could never happen. But she still asked that question, what if, what if? Well, the answer to Joan Osborne and anyone else that asked that question, what, what if God was one of us? What would that be like? What would he look like? What would that mean? What would that accomplish? That question has already been answered for all of us. The answer is found in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, among other places. But Galatians 4, 4 through 5 gives us one of the best answers in all of Scripture and in all of, of history to that question. What if God was one of us? Why would he do that? What would that mean? What would be the purpose of God becoming one of us? Here's the answer. When the time came to completion, some translations say in the fullness of time, think of a cup being filled slowly and slowly and slowly, and then it reaches the top and it spills over. When the time came to completion, so there's a, an order, a plan, a set time, and then the time came. The hourglass was full. When the time came to completion, God sent His Son Born of a woman. So God the Father sending God the Son to be born a human being. Astounding. Scandalous. Dramatic. Unforgettable. Unexpected. Born of a woman. Born under the law. Why? What could possibly be the purpose in such a strange, unexpected plan? to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Who here has been adopted? Anybody was adopted? Okay, good. Me too. There is obviously something miraculous about anyone who is able to give birth to their own child. It's miraculous. But I want to suggest to you that it is equally miraculous for someone who has not physically carried a child to look at that child and say, I want them and I want to be their forever family. It's incredible. And those children that are adopted are incapable in that moment and in their state to really contribute much of anything to that family. It's not because there is just this incredible merit that the child possesses. It's all because of the love and the compassion and the incredible gracious act of the adopting parent. And the same is true for all of us that come to Christ that come to God the Father and become His child through Christ. We don't deserve that in the least. And there's nothing that we could offer God 
nothing of value or merit that made him look at us and say, oh, I, I just, I really have to have them as part of my family. It's not what happened. We were rebels. We were sinners. We were depraved beyond all hope in and of ourselves. And it's that that God looked at. A dead, decaying spiritual corpse. Incapable of seeking Him. He looked at that, at us, and said, I love them in that state enough to send my perfect eternal Son to rescue, to redeem, and then beyond that, to adopt, to give the full right of sonship. Family. The full authority of what it means to be sons and daughters of the King of all the universe. That, that is the answer to why God became one of us and the purpose behind it. Isn't that fantastic? That's just astounding, isn't it? It's glorious. When something is unexpected by us, and that happens a lot, when something is unexpected by us, it doesn't mean it's unplanned by God. When something is unexpected by us, it doesn't mean it's unplanned by God. And so often that's how we look at the unexpected. So often that's the tendency we have. That can be the default reaction to the unexpected if we're not careful, humanly speaking. The unexpected happens, the unexpected occurs, the unexpected comes our way, and we can be tempted to say, well, wait, I thought God had a plan. I thought that his plan was nothing but good for my life. And where is this? How does this fit into that? I guess, I guess God doesn't plan everything. That can be our reaction if we're not careful. And certainly we will be tempted to react that way. But when something is unexpected by us, it does not mean it's unplanned by God. That's a difficult reality, but it is a reality nonetheless. It's a hard but necessary truth to accept and to apply. Notice I said apply. It's not enough to just accept that intellectually. It's not enough to just agree with the fact that when the unexpected happens, it does not mean it's unplanned by God. It's one thing to accept it, it's another to apply it. But apply it we must. We have to believe this hard but necessary truth. We have to accept it, and then we have to apply it to life, to all of life, every aspect of life, every day, the good, the bad, the ugly. And with all that's happened the past two years, we certainly are all acquainted with the unexpected. We know what that's like. We know what it is to experience the unexpected, left and right. The last two, two and a half years have been full of the unexpected. In a broad and general way, out in the world, in the chaos and uncertainty of our world, in our nation. And for many of you, the last two and a half years have been full of personal, unexpected situations, unexpected crisis, unexpected difficulty and trial. 
And the question that we ask when this comes, the question we all ask is, where is God in this? And what does this mean? Why has He allowed this? What is He trying to do? And sometimes that question doesn't get answered. But the answer above all of it is, yes, there is still a plan. Yes, God still has a plan in and through this. And it's a perfect plan. Brenda Shelton is a lady that has been attending our church for the last nine months or so. Um, She comes by herself. Her husband's not able to come with her. She usually sits right where either Vernon is or where Kelly is. That's usually her spot. She's faithful. She comes with a smile on her face and keeps it the whole service. She's engaged in the worship. She's engaged in the message. There's, I don't think, a single Sunday that goes by where she doesn't personally come to me and tell me not just thanks for the good message, but tells me something that God used in that message to speak to her personally, to impact her. She's part of our life group that we host in our home on Sunday evenings. And once you get to know Brenda, you are made better for it. Right before Thanksgiving, it was either the Tuesday or the Wednesday of Thanksgiving week, she called me. She had been having some physical problems, a lot of difficulties, so she went to her doctor to find out what was going on. She had in her mind what it was. She already expected a certain result, and so we were praying accordingly with her on that specific anticipated diagnosis and result. So she called me to tell me what the doctor said, as I had asked her to, and she didn't waste much time. She went right into the answer that she received and the answer she wanted to give me, and that was that they found out that she is full of cancer. Colon cancer, stomach cancer, of an aggressive kind, more aggressive than usually comes through that office, the doctor said. She has fluid around her lungs. And in the midst of that unexpected, unforeseen, and unimaginable, difficult diagnosis, Brenda told me, but God is good. But God is good. And she went on. She elaborated. She said, of course, you know, I'm scared. I'm, I'm devastated. I, I'm not even really processing all of it right now, but what I know is that God is on the throne and that this came from his hands to me, and there's a purpose. In the days since that diagnosis, of course, she's had tests, and she's gone back to the doctor, and, and my, is she suffering. I followed up with her just at the end of this week, and she's supposed to go to Morgantown tomorrow for more tests, and I think it's actually supposed to be a colonoscopy tomorrow, and That's to determine the extent of the cancer and what, if anything, can be done. So I was asking her some of the questions about what's expected there, and she said, this is her text reply to me, I'm not sure. I know there will be decisions made when I get there, but right now I don't even know what my last CT scan showed them. 
I am very much in the dark, and I am afraid. But, and here's another statement that just blows your mind and is impossible for anyone to have this kind of response and answer without having the Spirit of God in them. I'm so in the dark and I am so afraid, but I am so glad I can cling to God's sovereignty. See, what Brenda knows and what she is clinging to is what every believer should know, can know, and should cling to, and that's this, what I just said. When something is unexpected by us, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's unplanned by God. And that doesn't mean that that only applies for the good and the easy and the comfortable. It applies to all of it. That's why Paul could say in Romans 8, 28, all things come together, work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. All things. Pray for Brenda. Church, pray for Brenda. She desperately needs it. But praise God for her heart and her attitude and her mindset and what by the Spirit of God she is able to cling to. The unexpected is what Christmas is all about. And the fact that the best gifts, many times the greatest gifts that God gives are through an unexpected way and by unexpected means, that's the Christmas story. And with that in mind, I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Luke 1, 26. God's Word says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin. We know that's an important detail to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. That's another detail that we don't really focus in on that much. But that means that this Joseph, in this insignificant town and area of Nazareth, was part of the royal lineage. He was royal ancestry of King David. To a man named Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Yeah, I'm with her on that. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be? since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And that's a fair question. This is not Mary doubting what the angel was saying. 
like Zechariah did when Gabriel appeared to him and said that he was going to be a daddy. And, you know, he said, I, I, <laughs> I don't think so. I, I really don't see how this is going to happen. His question was a question of doubt. He doubted God's ability to do what the angel was announcing, and he was rebuked for it, and there was a negative result. He couldn't speak. That's not what this is. That's not what Mary is doing. She's not following the pattern of her relative, Zechariah. She's just asking, how is this actually going to happen? I, I mean, I hear you, and, and I believe that what you're saying is true, but I just can't process it. I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out how this is going to be. So it wasn't doubting God's ability. It was just simply questioning the logistics of it and how this actually could take place. And the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. See, that, bringing up Elizabeth and bringing up John, her child, was Gabriel's way of very graciously giving her proof It was an example for her, a real, literal, tangible example of the power and the ability that would bring about what Gabriel was announcing to her. He was saying, you want proof that this is nothing for God? Just look to your relative. I mean, that was miraculous. That shouldn't have happened, but it did. That's how, Mary, that's how this is going to happen. And then look at this incredible response from this young young, insignificant by human standards, girl. See, I am the Lord's servant, literally slave. I am the Lord's slave, she said. I consider myself totally enslaved to him. Whatever he wants to do is fine by me because I'm not my own. I belong to him. See, I am the Lord's servant, slave, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Wow. Wow. And then, part of the same occurrence, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. That was Mary. Now we're going to see Joseph. Both are receiving announcements of the absolute unexpected, the unforeseen. Matthew 1, 18-25. Verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged, that's literally betrothed. Our modern Western engagement is not really what was going on here. It was much deeper than that. It went farther than that. The betrothal stage was a stage where they were basically, the couple was considered married. They weren't living together yet. The, the fiancé was getting everything ready for receiving his bride. But they were legally the same as married. They were covenanted together already. They were committed to one another. And to break off this aspect of their relationship 
required divorce just as if they had been married. So after his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly or quietly. And that's, that's significant, the statement that he was a righteous man. That's really something to focus in on. As a righteous, law-abiding Jewish man, Joseph at this point had three options. He's been made aware that his betrothed is pregnant. He knows that they're not totally a couple yet. They're not completely married. They're betrothed, but they're not married. They haven't become one yet. He knows it's not by him. That means something else has happened. That means there's definitely adultery at work here. This is how he's probably processing all of this. Remember, he's getting all this news. He's seeing this very unexpected thing happen. His world is now crashing down in on him. Everything he had expected, hoped for, planning for, now it's just totally upended. But he's righteous. He's a righteous, law-abiding Jewish man. And so as he's processing this news, as he's seeing the situation, he has three options. First, he could publicly accuse Mary as being unfaithful, breaking their betrothal, which would have caused her to suffer the shame of a very public divorce, the only way to truly break off the betrothal. And according to the law, would have caused her to be worthy of death. Deuteronomy 22 and uh, Leviticus 20 detail that in the law. That if someone is found to be guilty of adultery, the woman is caused to be, uh, have committed adultery, even in that betrothal period, it would still apply that she was worthy of death. But that's the first option he had. Publicly accuse and shame and even subject her to death. Second option. He could remain engaged and not divorce Mary, but this alternative would have obviously seemed to Joseph as a cover-up of sin, and that would have required him to break the Mosaic law. So, neither one of those options being ideal, he decided on a third option, as we see in this text, and that was to divorce her privately. And in a private divorce, according to the Mosaic law, it only required Joseph to hand Mary a written certificate of divorce in the presence of two witnesses. That's from Numbers 5. Numbers 5 details that. And so in Joseph's thinking, this option preserved his own righteousness and his own obedience to the law, and it allowed him to demonstrate compassion and grace for his young fiance at the same time. So you see how righteous he truly was to think about this, to come up with this option? This shows Joseph was a man of integrity. He was a man of compassion. So that's what he decides. Verse 20, back in our text. But after he had considered these things, after he'd come up with that option, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, 
son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' name means Yahweh or the Lord saves. And just think about Humanly speaking, how difficult that, that simple, what to us is a simple command or a simple statement of naming this child. Think about how difficult that would be for Joseph. He's betrothed to Mary. She's pregnant. He has to take it on faith that this is a supernatural thing by God, that she has not been promiscuous, that she has not committed adultery. He needs to accept her word and believe the word of this angel that's coming to him in a dream, of all things. I mean, you have some crazy dreams from time to time, right? Most of the time, it's not a good idea to act and do something awake based on your dream. You could get into some big trouble, right? I had this dream... Now I'm going to go do what this dream instructed me to do. Be very careful about that, right? So here's Joseph processing all this. He receives this instruction in this dream. And the command is, you need to name this child that's not yours. But it's your responsibility to name him. And by naming him in that culture... It was to say, this child is mine. Only the father did that. He named the child. He gave him a name that was a way of kind of looking ahead at that child's life. Kind of a statement of destiny, if you will. And it was him saying to everybody, this is my child. I am responsible for this child. I will bring this child up. He's mine. He's under my name. He's under my home. So the fact that he was to do that under the circumstances that this was all in would have been very difficult for Joseph. Don't miss, don't miss how hard this must have been. Verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And this is from Isaiah 7.14. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. What a thought. God with us. Friends, God has come near. And He came near in the most unexpected way possible. Even with it being predicted and prophesied, when it all comes down and it all happens, it's just not what people saw coming. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. Again, speaking to his integrity and righteousness. He married her, and then verse 25, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Remarkable. And all of that was definitely a strange way to save the world. I love that song because it so captures what I think must have been going on in Joseph's mind. Remember, he's just a man. 
He's a human. He's a righteous man, but he's simply a man. And despite all of his knowledge of the Torah, despite all of his culture, he had to have thought deep within himself, this is such a strange way for God to do what he had promised to do for centuries of our history. This is such a strange way to bring this about. This is unexpected. And yet he went through with it. He was obedient. He received from God all that God desired to give him. What Joseph knew, what Mary knew, is this. And I hope you know it as well. God works in unexpected ways to show us there's no limit to what he can do. God works in unexpected ways to show us there's no limit to what he can do. He goes outside of the conventional. He doesn't operate according to what we see as normal and expected and required. He goes beyond that. There's just no limit. There's no cultural limit. There's no ideological limit. There's no philosophical limit. There's no religious limit. There's no human limit to what God can do. Another very famous common Christmas song we sing, we know, Mary, did you know? We don't know all that Mary knew, but one thing is clear from all of this, from her response to Gabriel, giving the announcement that he did, what's true of Joseph, what they knew is this, that God works in unexpected ways to show us there's no limit to what he can do. And they accepted that. They believed that. They received that. We know Mary definitely did because in her statement, in her announcement of praise, and of worship, and of accepting all that was happening in her life, she said this. It's referred to as the Magnificent. Luke 1, 51 through 53 is part of that. I just want to focus in on, on these statements as part of her incredible statement to Elizabeth. Luke 1, 51 says, He, speaking of God, He has done a mighty deed with His arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. You see, God is not limited by cultural expectations or norms. He can do anything He wants, and He often does the unexpected to show everyone that there is just no limit to what He can do. The other thing that we see here on display, it's a wonderful truth in reality. It gives us, it should give us hope and encouragement. Mary and Joseph are definitely proof of this. And that's that God often uses the people nobody would expect to accomplish things no one thought possible. And that is good news for you and me. God often uses the people nobody would expect to accomplish things no one thought possible. Not just Mary and Joseph's story. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, the Apostle Paul says this to the Corinthian church. What a group of misfits the Corinthian church was. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling, Paul says. Not many were wise 
from a human perspective. Ouch, Paul, goodness. But it's true. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that, here's the purpose of him doing all that, the purpose of him operating and working and functioning in such unexpected, unconventional ways. So that no one may boast in his presence. So no one can say, oh God, look what I've done. Look what I've brought about. Aren't you glad I'm on your team? Nobody can ever say that. No one. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Not from anyone else. Aren't you glad today, my brother and my sister, that God works in unexpected ways? Aren't you glad that many times His best, His richest gifts come in unexpected ways? Aren't you glad that when unexpected things come to us and it's unexpected by us, that it's not unplanned by God? Aren't you glad for that? And oh, aren't you personally glad that God often uses the people nobody would expect to accomplish the things no one thought possible. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Joseph and Mary and their acceptance of what was truly a startling, striking, unexpected series of events. They believed your promise to send a Messiah. They believed it could happen, but they certainly did not expect it to happen the way it did, and they definitely did not expect it to happen to them. And yet they accepted it, they received it, they chose to be used by you in this incredible way. They were humble, and they were obedient. Thank you for their example. Thank you for using them to bring about your incredible plan of redemption, your plan of adoption, all through the means, through the work, through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, which is why he was sent. Father, make us truly grateful. Make us in awe once again at the way you work. That you would love us enough to provide your Son as our necessary substitute and sacrifice so that we could be rescued by you, known and loved by you, that we could know and love you, and that we could be made your very own children. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.